If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. On Sundays, we're in a sermon series entitled Timeless Truths for Troubled Times. We're doing an expositional study of 1 and 2 Peter. The title of the message this morning, Living as the End Approaches. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read the first part of verse 7 together. And then we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 as I go through the message. But Peter has a word for the Christians of his day. He has a word for the churches of his day. He has a word to you and I this morning and to Miles Road Baptist Church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Without any stutter, without any stammer, without any hesitation, without any reservation. Peter says very clearly, very concisely, the end of all things is at hand. I'd like to ask you three questions. You can answer them to yourself. Question number one. Do you believe that one day you will die? That's a softball question. Everybody can hit it. Do you believe that one day, at a date to be determined, you will die? One day your name is going to be found in an obituary column in a newspaper in such and such city. One day when the bell tolls, the bell will toll for you because you're going to die that day. You're going to be one of 8,000 people in this country who die every day. Do you believe that one day you're going to die. Question number two. Do you believe the Lord Jesus is coming again one day? Do you believe that one day the Lord Jesus is going to come again? One day, just as the prophets of old foretold, just as the apostles of new foretold, our Lord is going to leave heaven and return to earth. He's going to resurrect the dead in Christ. He's going to rapture the living in Christ. And he's going to prepare for his showdown with the unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. He's going to take them on in their new world order. And by the way, we win. Do you believe the Lord Jesus is coming back one day? Softball question. Do you believe one day you're going to die? Softball question. Question number three. Fastball question. Hardball question. High heat coming your way right now. If you believe that one day you're going to die, if you believe that one day Jesus Christ is coming again, do you believe it ought to affect the way you live right now? Why are some of you looking differently now? 
If you believe that today you could die, Jesus could come back today, the end for you as an individual, the end for us as a collective church could be over with death or the rapture, should it not affect the way we think? Should it not affect the way we feel? Should it not affect the way we talk? Should it not affect the way we act? Should it not affect the way we conduct our very lives each and every day? The answer to that is yes. It ought to have a dramatic, radical effect on us as individuals. Sadly and tragically, in Peter's day, many Christians and many churches believed in death, they believed in the second coming of the Lord, but it never changed the way that they lived. And sadly and tragically today, it's no different. God's people will say, we know we're going to die. We know Jesus is coming again. But when you look at their lives, their lives are no different than somebody who doesn't believe either of those things or somebody who doesn't know the Lord. So Peter gives us a challenge this morning. He says, live like you believe. If you believe this, it ought to affect your behavior. Four things he's going to lay on our heart this morning as we talk about living in the last days, living in the end times, because we are. In verse 7, and by the way, follow in your Bibles. I'm going to be working out of the New King James. Whatever translation you have, you follow with your translation as well. If the end is coming for us soon, now remember that end could be our personal death. That's the end of us as individuals. Or it could be a collective end as Jesus comes back for the church and takes us all to be with him. But as the end is coming for all of us soon, one way or the other, Peter would say to us, we need to wake up. Notice verse 7 if you have your Bibles open. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Be thy death or by rapture, the end of all things for you as an individual Christian or the church as a collective body, the end is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful. Serious and watchful are the two words in the New King James. Your Bible might have two other words. But the words serious and watchful, those are military words. In the original language, they're words identified and associated with the military, particularly with a sentry who's posting duty on the front lines. We are soldiers in the army of God, are we not? When you gave your life to Jesus, you were enlisted into the army of God. You and I are Christian soldiers, onward Christian soldiers. And because we are Christian soldiers, we have sentry duty. We're on the front lines of this world. And we're to be watching. We're to be listening. We're to be assessing. We're to be analyzing what we see going on in front of us. What we hear going on in front of us. What we're experiencing going on around us. Any good sentry has got their eyes open. They've got their ears inclined. 
because they're, they're preparing themselves to respond if they need to. And we as Christian soldiers, we have the same responsibility. We're on the front lines of this world. Do you understand that? We're to have our eyes open and watch what's going on around us. We're to have our ears open and listen to what's being said. We need to be preparing ourselves based upon what we see and what we hear, what we know, what we assess, what we analyze using the Bible is our guide. Because I'm telling you folks, the hour is getting closer. And the hour is getting later to you and I's leaving this world one way or the other. Heard the story about an old man and an old woman who were in their bed together one night. And they had in their house one of those old grandfather clocks. Y'all know what I'm talking about who are older. That big old grandfather clock. And about midnight, it began to start chiming. Dong, dong, dong. Three dongs. But it didn't stop at three dongs. Four, five, and six. Dong, dong, dong. Seven, eight, and nine. Dong, dong, dong. Ten, eleven, twelve. Dong, dong, dong. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Dong. Dong, dong. And the lady turned to the husband and said, What time is it? He said, I don't rightly know, but it's later than it's ever been. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the clock is donging. It's getting close. Soon, the hour will be late. And something's going to happen. You know that word end that Peter talks about, the end? That word means an abrupt end. Something that happens suddenly, swiftly, shockingly, surprisingly. It happens without any warning. Just like that. And death can happen like that. And the coming of Jesus will happen like that. Just when you and I least expect it, up, up, and away we go. Now, what are, should we be looking for? If Peter says to us, wake up, get, get serious, get watchful, what should we be looking for, listening to, as the hour grows later, the time becomes closer? I've often told you that if you'll hold your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, you'll be amazed what's happening. The things that are going on in our world have been foretold by the Scriptures. Are you watching and listening to what's taking place in China? China has its design on the conquest of the world. The Bible says in Revelation 9 of an army that would gather in the east. This army would be bent on militant conquest of the world. This army will cross the Euphrates River and go into Israel and prepare for a World War III with an army of 200 million soldiers. Did you hear me? 
200 million soldiers. Do you know China boasted many years ago if they went to war against the West, they would field an army of 200 million soldiers. China today is militant, it's aggressive, it's vying for control of the world, and it's not going to let up. Do we see that happening? We do. We should be awake. The Bible speaks of an alliance in the last days between communist Russia and Iran. We see that today. They have signed a treaty. Russia wants the wealth of Israel. Iran wants the extermination of the Jewish nation and people. They've joined their hands together. Islam and communism are now friends because they both want to get rid of Israel and the Jewish race. Ezekiel 38 said that was going to happen in the final days as the end approaches. Do you know that Jesus talked about a worldwide pandemics? He talked about in the last days how you're going to see one after another after another of pestilences coming down the pipe. Bacterial, fungal, viral pestilences. We're just getting over COVID-19. Do you know COVID-21's coming? England's already in a lockdown and a shutdown over COVID-21. And believe that they will be in that lockdown, shutdown through the rest of this year. What's going on in England's coming to the States. You think it's interesting, coincidental, that the United States of America, the greatest country this, this world has ever produced, isn't mentioned in Bible prophecy? Nowhere in the Bible will you find the United States mentioned. What happens to us? Watch Washington, D.C. You can see what's happening to us. We're a nation headed toward collapse, financial collapse, military collapse, political collapse, and all the king's horses and all the king's men of whatever party they are are not going to stop it. Hatred and hostility are everywhere. Matthew 24, Jesus said in the last days, love will be hard to find, but hatred won't be. You can find it everywhere you look. The world will be looking for a, a, a leader. Revelation 13, the world's looking for somebody to, to fix the mess we're in. And we know who the one coming that will fix the mess or promise to. He'll be Satan's Superman, the Antichrist. The Bible says in the last days there would be apathy and apostasy in the church itself. Crooked ministers, corrupt doctrines in the church itself. Matthew 24 talks about the cheapening of life, the mockery of marriage as lawlessness sweeps the world. I could go on and on, but ladies and gentlemen, we're Christian soldiers on the front line and we better be watching. And when we see these things coming to pass, when we listen to these things being talked about, we better get our house in order. And we better help get everybody else's house in order. Because our death could be imminent and certainly the coming of Jesus is imminent. Peter says, wake up. And then in verse 7 he says, pray up. 
If you see the end is coming, and it's coming soon, and it's coming rapidly, wake up. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Be, be smart. And then pray up. Notice verse 7, he says, Be serious and watchful in your gossip. That ain't what it says, does it? Okay, don't shake your head now. I know we got different translations, but it don't say gossip. Be serious and watchful in your what? Your prayers. That word prayer is an interesting word. It actually could be translated please. P-L-E-A-S, please. This prayer that Peter says you and I should be practicing and and doing in the last days ought to be a pointed prayer. Very precise in what we're asking for. It should be a passionate prayer. God does business with people who mean business. It should be a persistent prayer. Not just something we do when we feel like it, but something that's part of our prayer life each and every day. It's constant. It's continual. This prayer that has to do with what we see and what we hear and what we're experiencing. This prayer that has to do with the wake up. This prayer is a specific prayer for two things. It it goes back to being serious and watchful. The first part of this prayer, he says, that you and I should have in our lives is a prayer for divine intervention. A prayer that calls upon God to come and divinely intervene with His wisdom and power into this country, into our state, into our community, into our churches, into our homes. It's an appeal for God to come. To bring a revival to America. To bring a revival to our state, our community, our churches, our homes. A revival to you and I. Send a great revival to our soul. That's what Peter's saying. When we pray, we're to pray for that. Because our, everything that we hold near and dear is sinking into the deep, dark abyss of death and destruction. But also the prayer is not just about divine intervention. It's a prayer, pay attention to me, about personal focus. Because I've told you in past messages that Satan, he's a liar and he's a murderer, but he's also a magician. He is a master magician. He's a master illusionist. And he constantly is doing things. He's constantly doing things to distract us. Away from the fact that we're going to die. Away from the fact that Jesus is coming again. He's constantly trying to take our focus away from the scriptures and the truth of God's word. And get us to focus on the trivial and the trite things of this world that really don't matter in the long scheme of things. Satan is a master magician. Have you ever watched the good magicians, the good illusionists? You know what makes them so good? They're they're excellent at misleading you, at distracting you, that they can set you up for the deception of the trick. That's why they always got a hand moving. You ever watch magicians? Watch them. They're always moving their hand. One hand. You know why? Where do they want your eyes to go? On the moving hand. If you're watching this hand, you're not watching this hand. They also have constantly they're talking. 
as they're walking around moving their hand, they're chattering. You know why they're doing that? They got your eyes on the hand, they got your ears on their mouth. You're not watching this. They always have a nice, pretty assistant, don't they? Why do they have a nice, pretty assistant? Why isn't she old and not so pretty? Because they want your eyes to do what? Follow her. And they do. And while you're watching her set up for the trick, he's working something over here. You ever watch the lights when you got a magician or an illusionist, particularly in the big shows? The constantly changing the tone of the light, the brightness of the light. You see, Satan's a magician. He distracts us away from what he's really trying to do. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in COVID and in politics and in sports and in economics and scandals and war. And I'm not saying some of that's not serious. But listen, we consume our lives with that stuff sometimes. And we lose sight of the fact that God has given us life today. And that life needs to affect other people. That Jesus is coming again. We need to be looking for him. That's what Peter's saying. Pray up. Prayer, ask God to intervene. Pray that you won't get sidetracked on the misleadings and deceptions. Pay attention to what's going on. Where's all this going? You think it's just coincidental that many churches today are promoting the smoking of pot? They've long promoted the drinking of alcohol. And now they're telling young people it's okay to smoke pot. After all, it is legal in some states. It won't hurt you. It's no different than alcohol. These ministers, these sinister ministers, if I can call them that, they're trying to affect people's minds, how people think by introducing them to things that cloud the mind. Alcohol, drugs, narcotics, legal or illegal, they're all things that can alter your way of thinking. So it's interesting, the Bible says in the last days that the worship of demons will be through pharmaceutica, through drugs. Pray up. Are you listening to me now? Peter's speaking to you and me. He says, we're on the front line. We need to be wake. We need to wake up. Understand what's going on. We need to pray up. We need God's intervention, not just in the whole world, but in us, so we won't get distracted and discouraged and chase after rabbits. And then he says in verse 8 and 9, if you got your Bibles, we need to warm up. Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. For the love will cover a multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without grumbling. He must be talking to Baptists there. <laughs> be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Love. You know, Jesus said in the last days the world would be filled with hatred, hostility. Nobody would like him, nobody else. That's what we see today. Gender hatred. 
political hatred, economic hatred, cultural hatred, religious hatred. You, I mean, just name it. People don't like one another. Even, even people that are like us, we don't like anymore. That's why love is so important in the final days of history that Peter would, be, would, would mention, wake up, pray up, but warm up, have love. Do you know love is the greatest commandment in the Bible? To love the Lord thy God with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength, that's the vertical. To love others as you love yourself, that's the horizontal. When you put vertical love and horizontal together, what do you got? What's that? That's the cross. Every time you look at that cross, you ought to think about, am I loving God as I should? Am I loving my fellow man as I should? Because love is the greatest commandment. Love is the greatest evidence that you're a born-again Christian. Not how much you know about the Bible. Not what kind of religious jewelry you wear around your neck. Not how many pews you can jump. The greatest evidence that you and I have met Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is that we love people. By this, they shall know you're my disciples, that you love one another. Show me your love, and I'll show you Jesus. Show me your hatred, and I'll show you the devil. Love is the greatest motivation. Do you know that? Peter talks about love. He says we should warm up. We love one another. Love is the greatest motivator. Why do you serve the Lord? Because of love. Why do you give to the Lord's work? Because of love. The great apostle Paul said, it's the love of God that compels me, that motivates me to do what I do. You know, love is the greatest of all virtues. 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest. You know why? Because love will leave this world and go to the world to come. Faith and hope, they will stay down here. They're earthly virtues. Love is the only eternal virtue. And in the final days of history, love is going to be hard to find. Hatred and hostility, even among family groups, is going to abound. And Peter says God's people need to practice love. He talks about three types of love. He, first of all, if you've got your Bibles, you'll notice he says a fervent love. That word fervent means a stretch love. Ever watch somebody run in a track race? What do they do just before they get to the finish line? Do they do that? No. What do they do? They, they rubberneck. They stick that neck out. They stick that chest out. They're trying to get that extra inch or two. They're stretching just so, so they might win the race. Well, Peter says you and I need to love fervently. We need to love with the stretch love. Our love needs to come out of our tight little circle and include everybody. It's easy to love people that look like us, amen? Love, it's easy to love people that talk like us. It's easy to love people that dress like us and act like us. Peter says, I, I'm not talking about that. He says, I'm telling you, you need to stretch your love and love people that are unlovely and unlovable. Many times, ministers are guilty of this. They're blasting different people when we ought to be loving them. If we're going to reach people who have gender issues, sexuality issues, you're not going to reach them for Jesus by beating them up. 
That doesn't mean we agree with them, but it does mean we need to love them because when you love people and you give them your heart, they will give you their ear and you can speak truth into that ear. You can't reach people when you're you're bashing people. If we want to reach bikers, we can't reach them by bashing them. We have to love them. Love. A love that is extended to all, but also a love that covers wrongs. You see, Peter says, a love that will cover a multitude of sins. If you truly love somebody, you cover up their negativity. You cover up their flaws and their faults and their spots and their blemishes, and you show them only the best side. You show only the best side to them and talk only about the best side of them. If you truly love somebody, you're not going to walk around and say, gotcha. You don't do that. You love them and you cover for them as much as you can cover. doesn't mean cover up their, their crimes, but it does mean you cover up their faults. Also, he says, we're to have a love that gives to oneself, that gives of oneself. It's extended to all. That's fervent. It covers wrongs, a multitude of sins, but it also gives of oneself, hospitality. You know what the word hospitality means? It means, I'm going to let you into my world and anything I've got yours. That's what hospitality is. You're invited to my home, I'm letting you come into my world, and because you come into my world, my time is your time, my labor is your labor, my money is your money. It's a a hospitality that says what I have is yours. That's the kind of love that we're to have for one another, but more importantly, for those people out there. Because as the coming of the Lord draws near, hatred is going to be out there more and more and more. And the merchants of hatred will be selling their products out there more and more and more. We have to be merchants of love, loving people. Standing up for what's right, but loving people. And then lastly, and I'm through. Peter says we need to wake up. We need to pray up. We need to warm up. And then lastly, in verse 10 and 11, he says we need to wind up. Wind up and get busy serving the Lord. Verse 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How many of you go back and remember the little toy monkey that used to be could buy when there used to be toy stores. Yes, there used to be toy stores. Some of you have never seen them. Stores that were exclusively for little boys and little girls to go in and buy toys. Well, in those toy stores, they'd have a little monkey. And he'd have a little wind-up key on the side of him. And when you wind him up, he had a pair of cymbals in his hand. And had a little doofy hat on his head, and he'd bang those cymbals. Okay? He'd bang them for about 30 seconds. 
The kids loved it, mom and dad not so much. But at the end of the 30 seconds, he would stop. What'd you have to do? Wind him back up? Well, I think what Peter's saying to us is we need to wind ourselves up and keep ourselves winded up in service of the Lord. When God saved you and I, quick lesson in theology, when God saved you and I, He did multiple things for us with that salvation. But one of those things was He gave us a spiritual gift or gifts. One gift at least, maybe multiple gifts, plural. His Holy Spirit, according to His own discernment, not because we ask for it, we can't ask for it, the Spirit of God, knowing who we are, knowing our talents, knowing our desires, knowing how God wants to use us in the local church, gave us at least one spiritual gift of 18 spiritual gifts. Some of us got more than one. But there's 18 spiritual gifts. God saved you. You got at least one of them. Maybe you got multiple gifts. And of those 18 gifts, you can divide them into two categories. They're white-collar gifts. I call them the neck-up gifts. They're gifts of people who are good with their tongue, their mouth. They know how to speak. Those are generally the people that will be teachers and preachers and evangelists and theologians. Those are the ones who will teach Sunday school. They're, they're gifted with the ability to speak the truth of God's Word. And then you have blue-collar gifts. Those are the gifts from the neck down. Those are gifts that involve your hands. Those are the gifts of an usher. Those are the gifts of a lady walking a baby in the nursery. Those are the gifts that work the kitchen, that serve the meals, that you can have a fellowship. Those are the gifts that clean this sanctuary when we leave here. So when we come back this evening, there won't be COVID germs everywhere. <laughs> when God saved you and I, He gave us gifts. And we're to use those gifts, whatever they are, and there's 18 of them, for His glory. That's what Peter says, for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We serve. Because the more closer our death comes, the more we should be busy, not just sitting on the sidelines, but involved in service. As the coming of the Lord draws near, you and I need to be working. You say, Pastor, I'm 85 years old. I'm retired. You're not retired from the Lord. There's always something for you and I to do in our service. And I thank God for those of you that serve here. And keep on serving. And those of you who haven't got a service, let's talk. Let's find out where your talents are, your gifts are. Let's find a place to plug you in that you can make a difference. Because you can be the hands of Jesus. In World War II, there was a French town, and I close. And in that French town, there was a statue of Jesus. The town had been invaded by the Nazis. The French pushed the Nazis out. The Nazis took it back. The American allies landed at Normandy at D-Day, and they went back into the town and pushed the Nazis back out. So the town had been occupied three or four times by different groups of people. The town was a wreck. 
obviously, from all the artillery and the tanks and the, and the bombings from planes. But there was a statue in that town of Jesus that had survived, somehow had survived all the occupations, all the bombings, all the artillery, all the battles that went in place. The, the statue still stood. And there was not a blemish on the statue except for one thing. The hands of Jesus had been gone. So there's the statue of Jesus in center town. Untouched, unfazed, except for there was no right hand and there was no left hand. And somebody wisely put a little message up under the statue. He has no hands, but our hands. He has no hands, but our hands can be his hands. Do you understand that? Those hands that you got, hold them out. Hold them. Those can be his hands by which we minister in his name to others. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.